So welcome to 2020. This is the co-working edition. This is where we ask, as I said, 20 questions in 20-ish minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, some of my guests are more effervescent and gushing and knowledgeable about many things. And so sometimes we go a little bit longer, but we're going to try to keep it tight. The intention is to leave people feeling in, inspired, informed, uplifted. I'm your host, Lisa Skyhane. In this particular edition of 20 and 20 and during the month of June, I'm connecting with industry experts, operators, vendors, and of course, most importantly, our co-working members who help us to pay the bills. And we're learning how together we will weather this storm. So co-working as a defined term has been around over a decade now, executive office suites, 30, 40 years. Our industry, like many industries, has really been hit uh, and affected by this pandemic. So I think the future of co-working, 100% it will survive and thrive. It's going to take some time, is my opinion. I want to hear yours, of course. Um, and that's why we're coming together here today. So my guest is Jerome Chang, who's the founder and CEO, founder and architect um, of Blank Spaces, which, as I mentioned at the start, as we were all tuning in, has six locations in Southern California. Yes, Jerome? Uh, yes, we had five or six locations last year. Uh, okay. We actually wound down a couple of locations and then we're winding up a couple more this year. Mm. Um, cool. Sort of the nature of when you do management agreements, when you get kind of uh, looking around the space, uh, I've signed traditional leases, I've done joint ventures with RedShare, I've done management agreements. And with management mm. agreements, it's great because it's very uh, asset light. Uh, your landlord is basically your investment partner, but mm -hmm. they can also change their minds and realize they want to go a different direction. So two of those locations, one of them got handed over Netflix. Uh, so wow. that's a good bonus for our client. Um, yep. I don't think they would have taken it had we not been operating as, co as a co-working space. Uh, so wow. now we're back down to two with two more coming online in a few months. Great, cool. But you've certainly, I mean, you have run the gamut of, like you said, different deal structures, yep. expansion, contraction, Mm -hmm. operational learnings and lessons, I'm sure. So a little bit about your background, you know, Jerome, you are uniquely positioned to talk to us today about a few different topics related to the co-working business, but you have a bachelor's degree in civil engineering from Cornell. You also have a master's in structural engineering from Cornell, and then you went on to Harvard to get a master's of architecture as well. And so, I mean, engineering and architecture, I'll tell you, I have a soft spot in my heart for people like you because my father was a, um, a landscape architect and also urban planner, master's, oh, okay, uh, master's degree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's, you know, his company, although he's been gone 16 years, his company still exists 43 years later and has master wow. plan a, a huge percentage of South Florida, Palm Beach County, master, master plan and gated communities, mixed use communities, um, really incredible. So yes. And basically, as Liz said, you are a smarty pants, which you know, I feel the same about my dad. So Anyway, so, so I already have a uh, fondness for you. So let's get this interview started here, um, shall we? Yes. Okay, so on top of a global pandemic, Jerome, this, what a time, you know, there's the, the fight against racism, the cry right now for the amplification of black and minority voices, as I keep saying day over day, is, is, is louder than it's ever been before because of this access that we have via social media to information. Um, what is Blank Spaces doing to stand in solidarity with Black people in the Black Lives Matter movement? Um, you know, we in the last few weeks have really not done anything distinctive for Black Lives Movement, uh, except for messaging to clarify our already inclusive type of culture. Uh, as you know, I'm a minority. I was also I'm also an immigrant. So in many ways, I'm on the same page as Black uh, as many Blacks. Uh, in many ways, I'm not. I have some privilege as an Asian, um, but in many ways, I do. Uh, I've, you know, experienced my levels of inequality, and so firsthand knowledge. 
I know what it's like to be on the short end of the stick. Um, we've also had a variety of uh, gender orientations and ethnicities in our staff who remind everyone uh, kind of what works and what doesn't. So, um, yeah, it's as simple as just being part of, I think, who we are from day one. And uh, to adjust that hasn't really been much of an adjustment. Yeah, so continuing to be cognizant of diversity and inclusion in the way that you move the business forward is, is yes. what I'm hearing also. Um, so you are one of few co-working operators that opened literally right as the Great Recession was about to happen. I mean, you opened 2007 and then, I mean, 2008 was just a, a nightmare for a lot of business owners. So as a, also a licensed architect, you surely have unique insights into enduring this sort of pandemic-induced economy, you know, that we're moving into. So what was it like back then and what do you see, uh, or how, what did you do then to survive? Yeah, um, that was my first business. I've always just been, you know, working for, as an employee for someone else and I had really no idea what I was doing. Um, uh, so running my first business on a, you know, total niche sector within the real estate industry, uh, I was completely on my own. And I learned very quickly that cash is king, the old adage. Uh, and then also I learned how to uh, negotiate with my vendors to pay them later, pay them in part, uh, or even settle out and just pay, uh, uh, you know, settle at half or something and then move on. Mm. And uh, when the economic, when the severity of the economy was that bad, everyone was willing to basically do a deal uh, yeah. and negotiate. Uh, what is so different about this is not only is it the massive ec economic uh, a severe economic situation. Now we have the virus that's forcing us to completely reconsider our physical bounds. So I didn't really have to put on my architecture hat to get through the Great Recession before. It was mm -hmm. only, you know, architecture was a nice like insight into the space I was using, the furniture I was using, but not anything that would drastically improve my economic situation. Now the architecture really is nuts and bolts of how to get through it. So using my engineering background, using my architecture background, I'm reading through a lot of air quality uh, articles and I, I can understand the physics of it. I can understand the, you know, the general science of it. I mean, as, as best as anyone else, but at least I feel like I have a little further up on the learning curve. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where my focus is in how to uh, adjust this space for um, you know, all things coronavirus, either this one, COVID-19, or the mm -hmm. next one. The mm -hmm. Air quality is that important because it really permeates throughout the space. I think yes. a lot of the attention towards dividers and, and social distancing, uh, there will be levels of overreaction and appropriate reaction for those, uh, but whether or not they're really sustainable past six or 12 months is to be determined. But I think for sure air quality is a much long-term permanent change that we need to make, no different then when ADA came online on a federal level in the early 90s, when that became level, everyone's like, what? I now have to add handrails and ramps and all this stuff? That right. seems so impossibly expensive. Right. That was a permanent sustainable requirement to be inclusive. Air quality, I believe, will be one of those sectors. Out of the entire laundry list of things that people are trying in order to make their space appropriate today. Sure. What do you mean when you say that you don't know if some of the, the um, things that are being implemented now will be sustainable a year from now, some of the dividers sure. and what have you? Look at the UK. I think literally just today, they changed from two meters of, of social distancing to mm -hmm. one meter. 
So everyone who just decided to space out their seats and all this stuff suddenly is now is that half that number. Mm. I mean, there's always two levels, right? The, the government said it's okay. The public may not agree, but either way, one of the two sides of the coin, you know, did. so now it's the other shoe has to drop. Um, but just like ADA, there's certain things that needed to be inclusive for someone either in a, a, a walking in, in impairment, uh, in a wheelchair, blind, deaf, whatever, they mm-hmm. all need um, a permanent help or uh, permanent assistance to get through uh, to overcome some of their disabilities. And it's it. about being inclusive. Got it. So, so what has been the impact right now of COVID to blank spaces? And what do you think is going to be the key to your survival? Yeah, um, we're not too different than some of the restaurants. I mean, we're down anywhere between 50 and 70% off our usual. Uh, that's huge. I think some restaurants are worse, 80, 90%. Some are outright 100% because they're closed. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, we have some base of uh, membership that is sustaining some of us. Uh, we were as bad as uh, 70% down for both, and we'd inch back up a little bit. Um, Great. And so hopefully we can just, you know, keep some small wins on the board and move up and get closer towards, uh, you know, even 70% of normal, which will be 30% down. And I think when we get to that level, it's just a matter of turning around. Ooh, yeah, and, and in this case, waiting it out because there, there's still so much unknown. We don't know the new information. We don't know if there's going to be another wave, an additional shutdown or shelter that's going to be put in place. Um, yeah, that's it. I, I have a question about the two spaces that you have coming online. Can I ask, are they lease deals or are they management deals? One of each. One of each. Okay, yeah. great. The lease, the lease deal was actually signed three years ago, and mm-hmm. the landlord, is, the city of Long Beach is my landlord. So it's not a traditional lease. It's a, it's a very favorable lease. Right. But the, uh, it's actually through a partnership with the Long Beach City College and the city of Long Beach is on the actual lease. So oh, they're wow. basically the software to my hardware. They run the programming and they use the space. And I run the facilities and operate the co-working. But I still have independence to run as a private for-profit co-working space. So okay. in that way, it's really a JV. And that's great that you're both on the lease. I mean, that r- mitigates or reduces risk uh, that, w- that would have been taken on, yes? Uh, yeah, and there's some other clauses. Uh, but So it's really much, uh, in concept, it's much more of a JV. On mm-hmm. paper, it looks like a traditional lease. So in that way, it has a little of both. Mm-hmm. Then the Alhambra location is a management agreement. Uh, they hired me to both design and operate it. So mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, both sides. Awesome. What a great opportunity. And what a great yeah. feeling in a time like this to be going forward and creating a new space. So congratulations on that. I'm really glad to hear that. Um, so talk to us a little bit about post-COVID office space design and occupancy in co-working spaces. How do you see things shifting or evolving? Yeah, it's going to be like uh, normal and bizarro at the same time. <laughs> so what I did, uh, we released to our uh, staff and our customers is we showed, we, we offer three floor plans, what it was before, mm-hmm. uh, what it can be if everything had the uh, six foot physical distancing. And then the third one is somewhere in the hybrid, which is that we will allow maximum occupancy in an office, six person mm-hmm. office that does not have, does not have physical distancing because the tenant, the company, uh, the member of company may only u- use, have two people use the office at a time. Right. But up to six different people will use it. And they don't want to have to hop around. Right. So there's that hybrid situation where they're paying for six, but only have two people using it. So why would I shoot myself in the foot to only sell a two-person office when it can be sold as a six-person still? 
Of course. Well, and also, I, I mean, we had, we admittedly, we had a, a town hall today for primary. We're officially reopening as we've now gone into phase two here in New York City as of yesterday. Personally, admittedly, surprisingly soon. I, I you know, I think people are definitely trepidatious about coming back to office spaces in New York City. Um, but one of the questions that was asked was, will we be re reconfiguring offices and removing desks? And we said, no, we said, we, what we will do is we will lean into, well, we have not received any rent, formal rent relief uh, from our landlord and therefore the overall cost for the space remains the same for us. We will pass through relief or credits accordingly as we receive them from the landlord. But in the meantime, what we need to do is be in partnership and utilizing the space and a staggered shift or half capacity type format as you're describing here. So six desks, maybe three, two to three people come in on Monday and same Tuesday and you stagger the shifts throughout the week. That was then that was our response to the question. Yeah, and in fact, if you take that, if you look at that hybrid situation, you might actually have 10 or 12 people using those six desks, which means mm -hmm. that you could actually get more than what you were using before. Mm -hmm. So any of those things are possibilities. Yeah. Hmm, that's an interesting way to look at it too. So in general, I, you know, I certainly have my answer. I'd love to know in your words, what do you see for the co-working industry for the next six to 18 months? Yeah, it's gonna be tough. Um, my, I have optimism after that time frame, but mm -hmm. in the next six months, uh, you know, I'm banking that we'll start hitting some better numbers in the next, in the, across the next two or three months uh, mm -hmm. so that at least we feel like we're in an upward trajectory. If we're yep. really down at this depressed level for another six or nine months, I think all of us are in big trouble. Yeah. Um, so that's the best I can do on that. Yeah. We I mean, I think busy, we have an annual busy season this fall. So I'm hoping between that and some reopening or some comfort level, whatever that is, that that will allow us to have some uptake. Uh, and it's going to be important that we, we get that. Yeah. And in the interim, I mean, the truth is, right, is that cash reserves that operators have on hand. Um, and, and going back to some of the base terms on the deals, right? What if your base rent was low enough that you can manage through this time, or if it was a management deal also, you know, that's going to be, a, I think, a key indicator of whether or not operators are able to survive. But, you know, the, a lot is also going to be possible, I believe, through simple communication, conversations with the landlords, because uh, right now is also a time that there's not going to be a massive influx of demand, I think, for for space, there will be demand, there will be continued demand. And if anything, it may be some of these larger companies that are frankly giving up larger spaces and wanting to take more satellite offices, smaller spaces, more dispersed, maybe even open to taking space in different providers, I think, um, but that are closer to their employees' homes. Yeah, suddenly every, you know, we used to be just one alternative. Now mm -hmm. our one alternative has like 10 variations to it. So yeah. it's gonna be interesting to see what, uh, what the uptick is. Yes, 100%. Um, so did you happen to catch um, an episode? I talked about it and, and I interviewed the CEO of Industrious, Jamie Hodari, uh, mm -hmm. who presented this work from anywhere concept here or, or, or uh, theory where he, he said it's really a four pronged approach to the future of work, uh, where number one, companies will want a headquarters. Number two, they will take satellite sort of remote offices. Number three, there will be a work from home component to their businesses. And then, of course, technology is number four will be critical in being able to maintain cohesive communication amongst teams. Um, yeah. Do you agree that this is the direction that it'll go? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. There was or another anything one. To add, was, anything to add to that theory? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the coding I was using was, you know, WFH is work from home. Then mm -hmm. you have WFH plus, work from home plus something. Mm -hmm. And then uh, WFHQ, work from headquarters. So in, instead of four categories, maybe it's three. And obviously there's mm -hmm. going to be like three variations of each one of those. So there might be a total of six, eight or 10 things in between. But it's work mm -hmm. from home, work from home plus, and work from HQ. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Um, so what do you think right now? I think, I'll, you know, obviously, I'm, a, I'm an operator as well with two locations in Manhattan. I think that maintaining the sense of community, right, with this influx of information, I mean, there are some days that I feel overwhelmed with the influx of emails, information, access, etc. Maintaining a community is at the heart of what co-working uh, um, maintains that we provide. So what yeah. can leaders, what can leaders really do right now to maintain their cohesive community? Um, what I'm doing right now is just being around. Uh, if they see me in the space, they feel like, Hey, if he's here, uh, the staff thinks, well, the space is fine. The members think it's fine. You know, people attract other people. It's been worked at restaurants. It's worked at hotels, every other space. Uh, so people will attract others. Um, mm. I think being available both in uh, time to give. Like I talked to two different people who are co-working operators today. They needed some advice on, you know, what I thought they should do. Um, mm -hmm. But that's the same that could be for the person sitting next to me. And I think every member, why they're here is that they could be available for the next person as well. Yeah. Um, so that's just a basic ingredient to be, uh, to enable a community to be both open and collaborative. But uh, I think the, the word, the, the framing you want to use right now is inclusive. Uh, yeah. Whether you're a person of color or not, um, it's inclusive. Yeah, yeah, and be present. That's what I'm, I'm taking away from what you're sharing there too. Um, so what do you think are some of your strengths? I mean, you've developed some leadership skills having this, your space, multiple spaces over the last 12 and a half years. What are some of your strengths as a leader that have had to and, and have organically risen to the surface over the last three months with dealing with the pandemic? Uh, yeah, so... Um, one of the first things was I acted quickly in checking my cash reserves, looking for funding sources, because that's what I learned as the number one thing uh, 12, 11 years ago, uh, 11, 12 years ago. And then the second thing is look at my uh, expenses and see what can be moved and what can be deferred. Uh, I immediately called uh, my copier lease, my uh, dis water dispenser lease, my landlord, all those people, and started to gauge the temperature of what can be done. And the yeah. ones that work, boom, done. And I was like, okay, next. So uh, that's one. And I think the second thing is that um, I think Liz and others who know me will know that I have um, more energy than a Energizer Bunny. And so... Wait, wait, you and I might have to go toe-to-toe -to -toe yes. on that. I was up at 4 a.m. today, and I okay, no I'm not now. no, I'm not a morning person <laughs> like that though. Oh no no, I didn't mean to wake up. I woke up with a slight anxiety about uh, all things oh. in the future, and then oh. I had to kind of go to the computer and work some things out. So it was not <laughs> by it. choice; it was more up here. Got it, um, got it. But yeah, I have an endurance to start early, end late, and mm. like however long it takes to attack a problem, I will do so, uh, including. Mm just like hounding a bank, hounding uh, employment agency, hounding a vendor, whatever it is. Uh, that's kind of, I think that's what I do well in. 
Ooh, yeah. I mean, resilience, commitment, determination, all of those words, right? And resourcefulness. Yeah, no quit in you is what Liz is saying about both of us. <laughs> I, I say I discovered years ago, I don't need full caffeine in my coffee. I could do decaf because I have a lot of natural energy. What can I say? You oh, know? yeah. But see, know. my staff knows. I'm, I'm actually, I think, one and a half degree even more extreme. They don't dare to feed me coffee. <laughs> I'm like the gremlin. If you right. get me wet, if you get me wet as a gremlin, you know, if you get a gremlin wet, they become like the, uh, the, the totally different teacher. If you feed me coffee, I'll be like, up, you know, 24 seven. So, oh right, Liz? <laughs> Hilarious. Okay, good. Well, at least you have them well trained. Well, don't give you coffee. I love it. Um, okay, so, so again, other side of the coin, you have some strengths, obviously, that are, that are going to help you through this time. What has been your biggest challenge? I, I, I know just from five years of being in business, my gosh, so many learning opportunities, so many challenges. Is there one that you could pick out for us that's been the biggest challenge in sort of learning in the last 13 years? Yeah, I mean, sales is always tough. Um, you know, I don't, have, I don't have one WeWork location. I have two within four block radius. They're mm -hmm. like so close to me. And, you know, they were having a lot of problems in this past year. But all the way up until then, that was just, whether I knew it or not, they were a very tough competitor on top of everyone else who was in the fray of this neighborhood. Yeah. Um, that's one. But the other one is really just HR. Uh, it always kind of eludes me how to manage people effectively. Um, yes. <laughs> I, I work differently than others. They work differently than me. Uh, they also have different expectations. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Um, mm. Yeah, HR has been very incredibly difficult for me. But so you're not alone in that boat at all, Jerome. I mean, there have been others that I've interviewed over the last two months that have certainly said that people, finding finding great people, training great people, getting the right people. You know, Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, said it's about getting not necessarily the right people, but getting the right people in the right seats on the bus. Yeah. Um, because sometimes you have someone great, but you got them in the wrong role. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's, I think, a big, a big learning uh, opportunity for leaders and how to make adjustments rather than cutting ties and moving on. Um, is yeah, there a I new have, methodology have, yeah, that you've taken then in the years um, as listen, it relates to hiring people? Uh, listen, act where you can, um, given where you can. Uh, you know, by no means anywhere above a B, B plus on this thing, uh, but I know to listen more uh, and then just do where I can. And if they know yeah. that I'm trying, I think at least it's half halfway there. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Now, um, last question before we go to the lightning round. And by the way, we forgot to mention the lesser known something about you that in high school you were in marching band. You were also in scouts and AP classes. So you were the triple threat geek, dork, nerd in that order. Yeah. Geek, dork, nerd. <laughs> We should make sure we had to mention that in this interview yeah, somewhere. Yeah, it was not a, it was not a great social aid, okay, Triple threat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as an adult, I'm sure some of those things serve you, though. And uh, I'm sure your wife has a big soft spot in her heart for you. You guys what? are a beautiful family, by the way. I love all your, your family you. photos. What I tell my friends is that uh, I basically just studied law in high school. That got me <laughs> to Cornell. And yeah. because I was at Cornell, that got me to Harvard because I tell you, when I applied to Harvard, I applied yeah. to seven schools and five rejected me. So getting into Harvard, but Harvard, really just but like, Harvard took you? Yeah. So I'll take it. It's fine. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. fine. Go, go to Harvard. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Last question before lightning round. What's the best thing to happen to you this year, Jerome? Um, you know, it's kind of what everyone else is saying. You got to spend more time with family. And I guess sometimes it was kind of annoying because I didn't have the separation and stuff. But at the end of the day, it was great to, I never used to come home at like, I was never home by five or six to have dinner with the family. Yeah. Um, they had dinner. I ate at seven or eight. So I never had that like time. Yeah. Uh, and then breakfast was always in a hurry out the door. So I think it was nice to have like a beginning and an end of the day together. Yeah. Um, and then in between was always the usual, you know, too much iPad time, too much work and too much Facebook. But uh, I like the, I appreciate the honesty of the a little bit annoying, you know, any, pa any <laughs> parent, uh, you know, you're a real parent. If you acknowledge a little bit annoying, cause I feel the same, eh, a little bit annoying. People say, yeah. Hawk, Hawk is so cute. I said, I'm ready for him to grow up a little. I need some more words. So I know what the heck is going on. He's cute. But they needed to make him extra cute because he's extra annoying. <laughs> this is the truth. This is some real hashtag real talk from parents. Okay. Ready for the lightning round? Okay. Here we go. Number one, rename the coronavirus. Killer virus. Killer virus. Yeah, like a killer whale. Yeah. Uh, best advice you've ever gotten. I actually don't know where I got this, but my my best advice to myself is no regrets. So I don't make big, big decisions based on what I want to do. I rule out what I don't have a regret on. So like, for example, when I applied to grad school for architecture, I actually mm -hmm. really wanted to go get an MBA. But yeah. I looked, I said, in 20 years, if I look back, what would be my regret? Not going to architecture school or not going to business school? It was the it was the former, not going to architecture school. So that yeah. shows that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and not too bad that you again got accepted to Harvard and were able to do architecture school. It there. made it. It did make it easier. Make an easier decision yeah. for sure. <laughs> what a what a wonderful accolade! You know, seriously, unbelievable. Um, uh, what's name the best way to ensure that you don't lose your AirPods? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I heard you're the yeah. worst. <laughs> I know I'm on my third one. I was almost about to buy the fourth one. My um, husband just tuned in, by the way, and they've like fallen down in subway tracks and like, oh yeah, oh, you two need yeah. to get together. What's the best way to ensure you don't lose your AirPods? So I added that I put it in a case that's like fluorescent green and has a carabiner clip, so that I could hook it onto my belt and be a complete nerd about it. I don't do the clip, but it's green, and so at least I can spot it when I need to. But yeah. I found out that if you lose the case with the AirPods that doesn't help you at all. Yeah. So I've been told I need to add a tile or some kind of tracker to it, which then like triples the size. Yeah. I don't know. It's like triple annoying or spend another $170. It's a, yeah. it's a toss up. So Liz and I are just awesome. Yeah. We always put back in the case, no matter what, totally. Liz and I have both never lost ours. You and my husband, Brian are both on number four. He wrote, he bought a fanny pack to keep them. <laughs> okay are you an early bird or a night owl you kind of answered this but what do you consider yourself uh i've been waking up early around 6 six thirty most days but i mm -hmm. go to sleep at 10 i actually would prefer to go to sleep around 12 but since mm -hmm. everyone else is in bed i just kind of you know hop on the bandwagon go to bed sooner yeah so i uh, yeah so it's a little so early bird yeah, yeah. but a little both favorite word uh, right now it's a uh, chicken versus egg. It's so bad, but I've been doing that so much right now because everything seems to be like a toss up. I don't know what causes what. 
Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I said, what's your favorite word? Like a single word. What did you yeah, think I know, I but said? I took it as a favorite phrase because that's the one thing I keep saying all the oh. time. Oh, yeah, I got that. Okay. Yeah. Chicken and chicken or the egg. I, I mean, yeah. Well, you're going to, that leads me almost to one of my last questions we'll get to. Okay. Okay. Name the architect you most admire and the structure of theirs that you love the most. Um, I really like Rafael Maneo. Uh, he's one of my favorites. So he's from, uh, he's from Spain. He only okay. has one building in uh, L.A. It's called the L.A. Cathedral. And the whole thing looks like a massive, great church and really solid. But when you're inside, you can see light come in through their stone because mm. it's actually translucent. Mm. Um, among the architecture circles, I would say that he's like in the top 10 of the last 50 years. Wow. Like awesome. He's well, so well regarded. I'm going to look it up. L.A. Cathedral when we hang up. Okay. Favorite business book or podcast? Uh, I've been listening to uh, How I Did It with uh, how, Roz, how, uh, how I Built This. How I Built oh, yeah. This, sorry. Everybody loves it. I know. It's amazing, right? It yeah. is. I mean, so many people have recommended that one. Uh, yeah. what's, the best th what's the best thing about being a dad? Wow, the kids are so cute. My gosh. They're so I cannot, <laughs> age three to five, I just want to keep that in suspended permanence. Me too. My friend Jimmy literally said to me, yeah, we would have had a third if it could come out at age four. <laughs> yeah. And then to stay four for a while. Like totally. body train, they can speak, they're kind of self-sufficient. My oh, son Henry is four and a half right now. It's delicious. It's great. Okay. Hottest topic during the time of Corona is toilet paper. Jerome, do you pull over or under? Over. <laughs> I like it. Okay. You good. Just over. Agreed. That's how it's supposed to be, is my opinion. Yes. Okay, last question, 2020 or 2021? 2021. <laughs> you're done, yeah. See, yeah. this is like the favorite word, the chicken or the egg. Yeah, see, so I had a feeling you were going to say 2021. You're done. Yeah, but we need to get through this, so. Whew. And we will, and we will. And by leaning into other inspiring people like we did here on this interview today, thank you so much for the gift of your time today. Thank your expertise you for hosting. as an architect. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you to everyone who tuned in, who's going to listen in the, in the days ahead. And um, wishing you continued health and safety out there in California. And best of Thank luck you. with your future projects, Jerome. Take care. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye, everyone.